You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. I heard Graham Cook preach a sermon a short while ago, and he told a story about a friend of his who was a test pilot for the Royal uh, Air Force in the UK. He said it was about 20 plus years ago, and and they had just uh, developed a new jet, and they asked his friend to give it a uh, a test fly. And, And they said to him, we want to see how high we can take this thing. We want to test out its controls and, and its aerodynamics, and we want, to just, we want to take it as high as we can to see what it can withstand. And so he said that his, his friend was really excited to do this and, and jumped on the opportunity, and, and he got into this jet, and it was a stripped-down cockpit. It was just really the basics of what he needed, and he said there were wires all over the cockpit, and they weren't concealed. They were everywhere. And he said, so his friend got in and, and, and he took the, the plane up to about 25,000 feet. And, and he said at that point, he noticed that there was a rat in the cockpit and it was nibbling at the wires. And, and he said he knew he was in trouble and so he radioed uh, ground control and he said, there's a rat in my cockpit, what am I supposed to do? And, and he said, I'm not gonna be able to go any higher. And, and the radio, con- uh, the, the air traffic controller said, uh, you, no, 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 you have to take it as high as you can possibly go. And, and they said, when you do that, the rat will pass out. And so he did what he was instructed to do and he took it up so high that he almost passed out. And it was at that point that the rat just dropped over and he finished his test flight. And when Graham was telling that story, I thought about Psalm 91 and how sometimes we forget that there's a rat in our cockpit and he's nibbling and he's trying to make us crash. And the solution is to just take it up higher. Take him up higher. Get in that high place with the Lord and watch what, the, what happens to the enemy of our soul. Anybody besides me want to go up higher? And there is a rat in our cockpit nibbling, nibbling. And the only solution is to go up higher with him. And so, Father, that's what we want to do tonight. Give us clarity, give us instruction in your word, I pray, in Jesus' name. Francis Frangipine said, to abide in Christ is to have found the habitation of God where no barrier or shadow exists between our weakness and his sufficiency, or between our yearning and his fulfillment. We've been studying Psalm 91, and and for some of us, this is the second time through it, but each time I sit down and study it, I see something that I haven't seen before, and so we're going to continue. I I would like to tell you that we're going to get to verse 2 tonight, but I'm not really sure we are. 
but let me just read the whole passage to you. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, I just love that, he's not just high, he's Most High. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Remember, we talked about the Almighty being El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. I, I love it. It's, it is really, in the Hebrew, it means the double-breasted one. I, I love that, the double-breasted one, uh, the, the one who nourishes, the one who, who supplies. I just love it. Do you know that when we dwell in the secret place of the Most High, we will abide under the shadow of the all-sufficient one? Is he all sufficient for you? Verse two says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I love that. Uh, look how personalized that is. I will say of the Lord, not somebody else is gonna say this. I need to make that confession. I need to own that. It needs to be mine. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. He is my fortress. I, I'm married to Dave Briscoe and he is my husband. He's not just a husband, he's mine. It's a personal thing. And can I tell you, we need to come to the place where we recognize that God is not just a fortress. He's not just a refuge. He is my my refuge. He is my fortress. We need to personalize that. We need to come to that place of experience with him where we can truly declare it. This I will say about the Lord. He is my refuge. He is my safe place. He is my protection, a fortress of protection around me. Come at me if you will, but do you know who you're messing with? I am the one who's in the fortress of the most high God. If that's not a place of security, I don't know what is. You see, you can face anything when you know that, when you know that you are hidden with God in Christ Jesus, when you are safely, safely abiding and dwelling in his presence. Surely, uh, surely, absolutely, no doubt about it, he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide. Abide. We talked about that word abiding and how it means to lodge, to tarry, to rest. And it's where we, the Hebrew word hotel comes from that word. And it means a resting place. Some of you need a resting place tonight. Maybe a place that you can rest from worry or from fear or from anxiety or strife. 
do you need a resting place? It can only be found in the Most High. And, and it's so interesting to me that that word resting, or that word abide, it's so, so interesting. He says, he who dwells in the shadow, that word shadow there, it, it, I will just tell you, if you've ever seen a shadow, shadow move, shadows move, and, and it's up to us to stay within the shadow. Do you, do you understand that that's our obligation? I talked to you uh, several weeks now how this is a conditional promise. Oh, it's so interesting to me how so many of us will take the promises of God and will claim them, and yet in some cases we forget that there's a condition attached to it. And the condition here is that we dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. And that word shadow there, uh, we, we talked about it for several weeks and, and how it's a picture of protection and, and it's up to me to stay in that place because shadows move. And we have to choose to position ourselves under his shadow. It's so interesting to me. If you study that Hebrew definition out, it doesn't just mean shadow. Actually, it's a pictograph. And, and a Hebrew pictograph is similar to, let's say, hieroglyphics. And, and it's the picture. If you look at how the Hebrew word is written and you take each letter and divide it out, it really means one who desires authority or control. And so what he's saying is he who dwells under the shelter of the most high is really what he's what he's saying to us is the condition is that we come under his authority oh we don't like that but that's what it means go ahead and study it yourself he who dwells under the authority of God under his lordship will rest will abide under the shelter of the shadow of the Almighty are you abiding I love that quote by Francis Frangipine. To abide in Christ is to have found the habitation of God where no barrier or shadow exists between our weakness and his sufficiency, between our yearning and his fulfillment. Do you know that he is the only one who can truly fulfill us? He is the only one who can make us content. He is where we find our satisfaction. He is where we find the fulfillment of everything we need in life. Why would we want to dwell anyplace else? But instead we find ourselves dwelling in, in unforgiveness or dwelling in anger or dwelling in jealousy and bitterness or dwelling in self-pity and victimization. Oh, but if we just dwell in the shelter of the Most High, the one who is all-sufficient, our weaknesses will be swallowed up in His sufficiency. Our yearnings will be, will be swallowed up with His fulfillment. He is our place of completion, of sufficiency, of satisfaction, and there is no other, and yet we continue to seek and try to find those things in other sources, and that only leaves us more empty with the wake of destruction behind us. I've been taking communion on a daily basis uh, for some time, and, and, and as a result, I've been giving a lot of th thought to, to what communion is really about. It's not just about uh, a body broken and, and blood poured out, and it's not about taking a wafer and some juice. What does it really mean to commune with God, to truly be one with Him, to think His thoughts, to feel His heartbeat? Not just to visit in his presence, but to dwell and find my habitation there with him, understanding that, that in that place no barrier exists between us. 
No barrier exists between my weakness and his sufficiency, between my pain and his healing presence, between my loneliness and his fellowship, between my fears and his comfort. I want to be in that place. I don't want to just visit it. I want, to, I, want, I want it to be my habitation, the place where I dwell, the place where I tarry, the place where I sit down and rest. Do you need rest tonight? Be purposeful about positioning yourself under his shadow. I read a verse this week from Revelation 12.5. If you want to turn there, at Revelation 12.5, it says, She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. I, I just love that. It just spoke to my heart so much this week and how I, I long to live caught up to God and his throne, not focused on what somebody else did or didn't do or the way they might have failed us or let us down, the way they didn't meet our expectations, not drawn away by the cares of this world and the anxiety that comes with it, not enticed by the little G gods and what they falsely promise to offer us, but rather living in that place of fulfillment where we are caught up to God and his throne. I, I read that passage in, in, in Colossians to you a few weeks ago and, and how we're, we're exhorted to, to put our mind, to set our mind and keep them set on things above, on the higher things of God and not be distracted by the things of this world. That takes, we have to be purposeful about that. We have to be intentional about that, about setting our minds and keeping them set on things above, focusing on his presence. We, we talked about how Bill Johnson was talking about how when Jesus was baptized and the dove, which is symbol, the Holy Spirit, is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, came and rested on him and remained. It remained there. I, I love that. It didn't just come and rest on him. It remained there. And it was a picture of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit resting on him. And Bill Johnson challenged his, his, uh, his hearers and he said, what would you do if you had a dove on your shoulder and you didn't want it to fly away? You would do everything. Every movement you took would be keeping that dove in mind. Not wanting it to fly away. So everything you did would be, you'd be mindful of that dove on your shoulder. What would happen if that's what we did? You see, so often we get in God's presence. He saturates us with his being. We're, 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 in, we're living in delight of his glory and delight of his presence. And then we step out of his glory and we, we get out from under that presence. Oh, I was reading, turn in your Bibles to Acts 2. I want you to see something. Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 5. This was intriguing to me this week. Acts chapter 5. There's Acts and then there's Romans. If you get to Romans, you've gone too far. Acts chapter 5. We're talking about Peter here. Now, I want you to think about Peter. You know what he was like before the Holy Spirit came upon him. He, he was really, I just, actually, I can't wait to meet him. He was really impulsive. He, he really spoke before he thought. He was a lot like Rhea. He, he was really, um, he, he was really that kind of guy. And, and he was the one who said, oh, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And then he denied him three times. And I love that, that he was the one that when Malchus came up, he, he took the sword and chopped his ear. Off. I mean, that's who Peter was. 
And then he got the, the, the Holy Spirit came upon him with, with tongues like fire. And what happened to Peter? He became bold. He became a leader. He changed his whole life because of that. And I'm telling you, when the presence of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, things will change in your life. And that's what we see in this passage, Acts chapter 5. Look at verse uh, 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord. I want you to see that, the importance of unity. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet, none of the rest dared join them. But people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter's passing might by might fall on some of them. Uh, just the shadow of his passing. I want you to just notice that. Peter got to a place where he was, he was so filled with the presence of God that even his shadow, if people, people would put their sick just so that his shadow w- would fall upon him. What does that word shadow mean there? And, and what is a shadow? What is up with a shadow having power? It's interesting to me. It's the same word that was used when the angel told Mary that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and the power of the Most High would overshadow her, and she would conceive a child. It's the same word that's used in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9, when Peter, James, and John went to the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Notice the complete change in Peter after the Holy Spirit came upon him at Pentecost. He went from someone who would deny Jesus and spout off at the mouth to a powerful preacher and leader. And now people were getting healed and set free when he was around. People were bringing people in the hopes that just his shadow would come upon them because even in that place, just the place of his shadow touching them, people were healed. People knew that Peter carried something that they didn't, that he had access to a power that they needed, and he was so filled with it that even his shadow contained something, although unseen, was powerful and effective. What was that? It was the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was the anointing of the Holy Spirit, if you will. He was abiding in the shadow of the Most High. It was overshadowing his life. And therefore, everywhere he went, the shadow accompanied him. And the power that came along with it, it was the dove on his shoulder, so to speak. So do, do we protect the power of his presence in, a, in our life? Are we mindful wanting to keep that dove on our shoulder? We are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. But just because we're Christians and come to church and Bible study, just because we can spout off some scripture and maybe even speak in tongue, uh, just because of those things doesn't mean we spend any time in the secret place. Dwelling in his presence means living under his lordship, walking in obedience to his words, submitting to his will for our lives. It's a place of intimacy and connection. Are you living there? I've got to leave my notes and just come down here. Are you living in that place? I'm telling you, his presence will change everything in your life. 
It'll change everything. When you get in his presence, when you dwell in that secret place, well, when, you, when you don't want anything else in this world but more of him, well, when you set your minds and keep them set on things above, the power of his presence, that, that will transform a, wor- a world. I don't care. The devil is not intimidated by your church attendance. The devil is not intimidated by the amount of scripture you can quote. The devil is not intimidated by, 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 by how big your Bible is or, or how many Bible studies you attend. Can I just tell you what he's intimidated by? Your intimacy. Oh, he is intimidated by your intimacy. Are you intimate? I'm not saying, are you in relationship? We're, we're not talking. Church, I don't know why I have to keep revisiting this, but, but we're not talking about relationship here. You are saved by grace and not by works so that no man can boast. Let's, let's clear the air there. This is not about being saved. It's not about works. It's about relationship now. You already have the relationship. Now we're going to talk about fellowship and intimacy. My man just came through the door, and I love him with every ounce of my being. But we can live in the same house. We can dwell together. I can wave at him uh, from afar. We can share the same bed and not be intimate. Can I just tell you that? We can just wave in passing. We can just have breakfast and, and each go our separate way. I can say, hey, Dave, how are you? And not talk to him the rest of the day. Are we going to have intimacy? No. Can it change that I have a ring on my finger and I'm his wife? Nothing can change that relationship. We're in covenant. But our intimacy can change, can it not? So I'm not talking to you about relationship. I'm talking to you about intimacy. I'm talking to you about becoming a dweller. And that word dwell, and dwell under the shelter of the Most High, the shadow, abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That shadow, look it up, do whatever you want, but it means to come under his authority, to come under his lordship. It's a place of power. It's a place of power. And I care so much more. Can I just tell you, I really, there are people that can preach circles around me, that can put a sermon together better than I can. I really don't care about putting a sermon together and having three points and a joke. I I really don't care about that. You know what I care about? Presence. Presence. The anointing of his spirit. And that takes intentionality. I can sit at my desk and put a sermon together and never spend time in his presence. But it's his presence where the power lies. So much so that Peter, because he was dwelling in his presence, because he was so filled with his presence, because he was so anointed with power that people could just put their sick in his shadow. Look at that shadow, Karis. People could just put his, their, their sick in his shadow. It had so much power. Anybody besides me want that. I want that in my life. I want it. One night we were getting ready to leave the sanctuary and there was somebody sitting where Cheryl's sitting right now. I think it was in the old sanctuary, wasn't it, Les? And and there was just one person left and we were all ready to leave and I realized that that she was sitting there and that she still wanted to talk to me. And and so I came down the aisle like this to, to come at her to just pray with her and she went like this. Presence. 
there was a demonic stronghold in her life. There's a demonic presence in her life. Recognize the presence in me. Don't you want that? I want to live in that place, not just visit it occasionally. That's what I do right now. I just visit it occasionally, but I'm bound and determined to make it my habitation. To make it my habitation. But that requires coming under his authority. Dwelling in his shadow, abiding in his shadow. There is nothing in this world that's worth compromising that for me. I want to learn. I've been saying to the Lord, I want to learn to set my mind and keep it set on things above, on the higher things of God. I am so aware of the brevity of life, I can't even tell you. I'm so aware of it. Never forget the brevity of life, the certainty of death, or the length of eternity. Oh, sometimes I think we forget the length of eternity. Sometimes I think we forget the, the brevity of life, and we forget why we're here. We are put here to bring God glory. That's why we're here. Is our life bringing God glory? Are we conquering a world for him? I want to be a world changer. Do you not want to be a world changer? I want to be like Peter, who, who just the shadow, the shadow carries so much presence, so much power. It's not a power trip. I'm not talking about wanting it because I want power. I just want to change a world for him. I want that book to be more than just a book I read. I want it to be a book that reads me. I want to be, I want to carry his presence. But what would you do if you had a dove on your shoulder and you didn't want it to fly away? You'd do everything with that dove in mind. His presence is such a place of safety, such a place of security, such a place of completion. He is our everything. He is everything we have need of. I, I love it. I will say of the Lord, he is my, I just want to, let's just look at that verse too. I'm not going to go there and really focus on that tonight, but I do want to just visit it for a moment. I, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. you know what that word, uh, my, my God, in him will I trust? The Lord, I've said to you a million times, don't just read over the, the names of God in this passage. Lord, help me do this. And, and forgive me, I, I'm not gonna, I don't have notes to, to take me through this, but I just want to see if I can maybe flesh this out for you. You remember the story of Jacob, the father of Joseph, are you with me? And, and there was a famine in the land. And now remember, this is when Joseph is working for Pharaoh. Pharaoh is, is a type and shadow of the enemy of Satan. Egypt is a type and shadow of the world. Are you with me? And so Jacob is, is, is I'm sorry, Joseph is working for Pharaoh, and Jacob is experiencing famine. And so he, instead of, you see, this is what happens when we have famine in our life. This is what happens uh, when, when things go dry in our life. We, we want to run to Egypt. We want to run to the world. And, and the Bible says that, that Jacob found refuge, that Pharaoh gave him a place of refuge. That he agreed to go to Pharaoh and go to live in Goshen for refuge. 
That's where he found his refuge. Now, now remember, when we find refuge in anything other than the Lord, we're in trouble, are we not? And so uh, Joseph uh, is in working for Pharaoh, and Jacob and his family come and live in, in, jo- in Goshen. And they, they begin to prosper there for a little while, but then you will recall, then Pharaoh dies, and a new Pharaoh takes over, and he doesn't know who Joseph is. And now the Israelites are thriving, the Hebrews are thriving, 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 and, and they're increasing, they're multiplying, and this Pharaoh is really kind of worried about this. He gets intimidated by it, because the enemy of our soul will always get intimidated when we begin to thrive and prosper and grow mighty. That's a word of warning. And so what did he do? Somebody tell me what happens. He makes them slaves. And that they work really, really, really hard for a really long time because they didn't cry out to the true refuge. And then the word says after so many years, and it's a lot of years, David, do you remember, is it 400? It's 400 years. After that many years, they finally cry out to God. Hello? (laughs) Why do we wait so long? And so they cry out to God and they ask him, they, they, they cry out for a deliverer. They want a refuge now and God will always hear. And so God goes to Moses and he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses is like, well, that's really nice, but do you know who Pharaoh is? And do you know how powerful he is? And this is Rhea's rendition. And, and, and he said, and just who would you like me to tell them sent me? And God said, tell him I am. That's the verse two that we see. That's the name that's there. The all-sufficient one. The, the one who will be all you, uh, all you need him to be when you need him to be all that he is. The, the one that anything you could ever need, he answers, I am. I will be that for you. And so you know the story. Moses trucks in. He says, let my people go. Let my people go. He leads them out. They go, uh, they, they get to, to, to it's, a, it's a battle to get him out. Plagues come, you know the story. And, and then this final plague comes, and what's the final plague? Anybody know? Death of the firstborn. And so what exactly does God tell them to do to avoid death? Slaughter a lamb, find a lamb that's without blemish, put blood on the doorpost, and this is what I love the best. In Exodus, and, and I can't, I'll find you the reference, but in Exodus, it says, put the blood on the doorpost and stay hidden in the house. Stay behind the door. Don, do we, by any chance, have the tabernacle picture from last week that has the door? So look at this. You, you'll recall from last week, we talked about the tabernacle and, and how uh, the, this, is the, this is the picture uh, of the holiest place, is the picture of where I want to be, where I want to dwell in the secret place with God. And, and we talked about the outer court and then, then the holy place and the holiest place. But we, we said there's the gate to get into the outer court, then the bronze altar, the, the laver. But then look, there is another, that red line, and we called that the what? The door. And what's behind the door? The presence of God. See, you didn't get that, or you would be hallelujah in that. He says, the death angel's going to pass over. Death is going to come. But here's how you avoid it. 
You slaughter a lamb, you put the blood over the doorposts, and then you stay behind the door till morning. And that way, the death angel can't touch you. There is a place in God, a place in his presence, a place behind the door. Who is the door? Jesus. A place behind the door, in his presence, that the enemy can't touch us. And we're going to see that in the rest of this psalm. That all this stuff, a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Pestilence can't touch you. The terror by night can't touch you. There is a place in God where we can have that. Do you understand? But it is behind the door. In the place of his presence. Anybody besides me want to dwell there? When I was a little girl growing up, my cousin Dave and, um, and, and his brother Doug and I had this little playhouse. We called it our hiding place, our hideout. And my grandma lived right across the street from my cousins. And, and I got to go to my grandma's often. I loved going there, but she always would put us to work and always had chores for us to do. And I didn't like that. And so I would go over to my cousin Dave's across the street and we would go to this hideout. And I don't know, it was our, it was our, our naivete. But, but I really thought that if we were in this hiding place that my grandma didn't know where to find us. And then we did this. We, we went behind into this hiding place and we had this sign on the door and it said, keep out, this means you. And we would put that on the door like grandma was going to really pay attention to keep out this means you. But in my childish mind, I really believed as long as I was in that hiding place, grandma couldn't find me and therefore the chores couldn't find me and keep out this means you. Do you know that the secret place is a hiding place? That's what that word means. It is a place where we are hidden away from the enemy of our soul and we have a sign that says, keep out, this means you, enemy. You can't touch me in this place of his presence. Because he's not intimidated by your church attendance. He's not intimidated by, by the scripture you can quote. He's not intimidated uh, by how many Bible studies you attend. He is intimidated by your intimacy, by the time you spent in his presence in the hiding place of the Most High. Are you spending time in his presence? There is power in that place. There's power. I, I just wonder what the world would be like if we really started living in that place. You see, that's not a duty. It's not an obligation. It is a place where we understand that in that place, our weaknesses are swallowed up with his sufficiency. Our powerlessness is swallowed up with his power. Our lack is swallowed up with his fulfillment. Our pain is swallowed up with his wholeness. Why would we not want to live in that place? We look for what we need in so 
many other sources. No man will ever fulfill you enough. No woman will ever do it enough for you. Only Jesus. You will not find that position that makes you feel fulfilled enough. You can't get enough uh, uh, degrees behind your name to make you satisfied enough. You can't become wealthy enough. Who was it? The, the wealthiest man in the world, they asked him, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more than you have. Only Jesus. And when we finally understand that, we will run to him not out of obligation, not out of duty, but of, out of sheer love and desperation for all that he is. Because he is the great I am. Everything we have need of, he is. He will be for us. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. His presence, oh, his presence. Moses said, uh, it, it, God said, I want you to go here. And Moses said, I'm not going unless your presence goes with me. And God replied and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You see, there's a place of rest in his presence. A place of rest. Moses is saying, I'm not taking one step unless you go with me. Moses understood the beauty of his presence. It's in the place of his presence that our burdens are no longer heavy. Our strength is no longer exhausted. Our ability to continue is no longer diminished. And our weakness is swallowed up in his sufficiency. In his presence... It's in his presence that we learn he is our refuge, he is our fortress, he is our very present help in times of trouble. He will be everything we have a need of. That means you can do whatever you want to me, you can respond however you want to me, you can like me or hate me. It doesn't matter because I have what I need in his presence. My expectations are being filled in his presence. Therefore, I have no expectation of you anymore. So I'm just free to love you. I'm just free to love you. And it's in his presence that we are filled up with that love and we can just ooze out into the world. I will say of the Lord, you are my refuge. You are my fortress. Do you know what a fortress is? A place of defense. It was a, a, a city that was just walled, and it was a place where, where people, where they were kept safe from the battle. Some of you are in a battle right now. You need to run to the fortress. Into the one, run to the one who says, stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. You need to run to the one who says, the battle is mine. You need to run to the one who says, I'm with you like a mighty warrior. I'll fight that battle for you. You just dwell, abide, stay in my presence. Some days, Dave is at work and I'm at work. 
and I can't wait to see him. Like sometimes my heart aches to see him. I miss him that much. I wonder if we hunger for the Lord's presence like that. Do you miss him when you step out? Do I miss him when I step out? Do I set my mind and keep them set? Leslie, can you look up that scripture? It's Colossians 3 in the Amplified. Can you find me the Amplified for that? We need to set our minds and keep them set on the things above, the higher things. And, and can we just find it really quickly? Does anybody have an Amplified Bible that we don't need to use the, the phone? Karen is always good for that one. Colossians 3, Amplified. No, I'm good. Set your mind and keep... Oh, that's really good. This is the wrong one, Les, but it's a good one. <laughs> Let me just see. I want to get the, the classic. Set your minds and keep them set on what is above, the higher things not on the things that are on the earth. For as far as this world is concerned, you have died, and your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind and keep them set, because the only place we can find real life, we can find the fullness of life, is in Christ. I don't know how many of you are, um, are like me, and sometimes you get burdened down and weighed down by the cares of this world. What I'm really endeavoring, the place where I'm endeavoring to come is that when I'm weighed down with those cares and concerns and worries, that I intentionally set myself in his presence. That before I react or respond, that I set myself in his presence. Because it's his presence. The Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. It's a place of such completion. It's a place where everything is weighed out. Everything is clear. Where you get a new perspective. It's that secret place. It's the hiding place of God. I'm going to ask you to, to stand to your feet. I, I want to just pray for you. I, I pray all the time that this Bible study is full of world changers, that, that, that it is a, a place where people are equipped and sent out, a place where people uh, come into a, a knowledge of the holy and, and take that out into a world and demonstrate his power and his presence in, in, in ways that will radically transform a city. I believe that we can radically transform Milwaukee. I'm sorry, but I, I'm just silly enough to believe that the presence of God in and through us can do that. Yeah. I just do. I believe it. But we have to make up our mind that we want to carry and host that presence, that we have to be intentional about it. That when we reach, we're going to be, we're going to, we're going to focus that we're his hands reaching. Lord, I need your presence. I'm going to pray for somebody. Lord, I need your presence. Not my presence. I'm not going to step out and just begin to pray. I'm going to be intentional about connecting with you and your presence.
I'm going to the grocery store and I'm going to carry your presence into that place. I'm going to change century for you. I'm just silly enough to believe we can do that, guys. One kind word to a waitress can make her wonder what's different about you. That's how we transform a world one person at a time. But what would happen if everything we did, every contact we had, we, we, we thought of it as a divine appointment. But here's what we do. We gossip about people. We're critical about people. We're judgmental. We listen to, to stuff that people are saying that we should not be listening to. We should not be partaking in. We have conversations that are full of idle, careless words. And then we wonder why we're not carrying his presence. What if we stop conversations like that? What if we didn't participate in, in him anymore? What if in hosting his presence, because we think we are, uh, we actually were merciful like he is and kind and loving like he is and gentle like he is? I think we'd transform a world, wouldn't you? I don't know, maybe it's just a Sunday morning religion for you. Maybe it's just to come to Bible study on Monday night because it's something to do. But for me, it's the air I breathe. It's the air I breathe. You're the air I breathe, Lord. And Father, we are so hungry for more of you. We are so hungry to transform a world for you. Lord, I'm so aware of the limited time we have here on earth. Be it 90 years is still short. It's too short, Lord. Your word says, teach us to number our days. Lord, I pray that this week we would be so intentional about hosting your presence, about dwelling and abiding in your presence, knowing that we carry it everywhere we go that we are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, set a fire. I pray for fire right now, Lord. I pray that you'd baptize afresh and anew with your sweet Holy Spirit. Lord, that the fire of God would so penetrate our lives, so stir within our being that our eyes would be open to the things of God and that we would set our mind and keep them set on things above. Lord, that we would acknowledge and recognize that our real life, the fullness of life, can only be found in you. Oh, Lord, forgive us for looking to other sources for that. Lord, we're hungry hungry for more of you. Lord, I long for the secret things of God, the hidden treasures, Lord God. I long to walk with you in the cool of the day. To talk to you, Lord, 
like one talks to a friend. That's what you said you did with Moses, Lord. We can have that. You invite us to have that, Lord God. You're not a far-off, distant God. You're a God who cares about our every moment. And Lord, you're so approachable. You love us with an everlasting love. And you invite us to come boldly into your presence. Why would we want to run anyplace else? So, Father, I pray right now for mindsets, for people that are carrying shame and guilt that's keeping them from running into your presence, for people that are striving to get there instead of just abiding, just tarrying, people that think they have to earn that instead of knowing that you paid the price for them to have it. Holy fire. Holy fire. Holy fire, fall afresh, Lord, fall afresh. I'm just going to ask you to extend your hand to the person in front of you or beside you. Don't let anybody go untouched. And I want you to pray for fire in their life. Holy fire, yes, Lord. Yes.
I wanted to talk to you about verse two tonight and we never got there. But, but one of the things I want you to see is the importance of saying, I will say of the Lord. It really means to decree. It's so important that we watch what we're decreeing. It says in Job that we decree a thing and it'll be established for us. And the importance of watching what we're decreeing, watch what we're saying, because the word says that God will establish it for us. Our mouth holds the power of life and death. And those decrees that we make are so important. This week I want to challenge you to get in his word and find some decrees that you can begin to mouth. You see, that's what a, that's what a double-edged sword, the Bible says that, that his word is sharper than any double-edged sword. A double-edged sword is deadly. Do you know that? It does the most damage of any weapon. It's a double-edged sword. And it really, in the original language, it means a double-mouthed sword. And what that means is that when God's word is spoken, it becomes a double-edged sword because he's already he has already mouthed it once to us in his word. And when we mouth it back to him, it becomes a double-mouthed a double word. A double-edged sword. A two-mouthed sword. Are you following me? So I will say of the Lord, I will decree of the Lord, he is my refuge, he is my fortress. Some of you are going out into a world where, 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 where it's shaky. Maybe your job is shaky. Maybe it's difficult for you. Maybe you're facing a, a, a spouse that's that not easy to live with or a child who's a prodigal and you don't know what's happening there. Maybe you're in some relationships that are causing you some pain. But, but can you just make a decree? I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. He is my fortress. In him. I will trust. Do you see the decree? Instead of, oh no, what am I going to do? I, everything's going wrong that can go wrong. What are they saying about me? What are they doing to me? Is this going to last? No, I will say of the Lord. I'll make this decree that he is my refuge. He is my fortress. And he is my God in whom I will trust. He's the great I am. And I will put my trust in him and him alone. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for each person here tonight. I pray, Father, that this word would go deep within their soul and that the enemy would not be able to come and snatch it away. I pray, Lord, that as they seek your decrees, as they seek your promises to begin to decree over their life, as they bask in your presence this week and abide under the shelter of the Most High, Lord, that they would learn to say, that you indeed are their refuge, that you are our fortress, and that you're a God in whom we can trust. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for each person here. Now, Father, bring that fire in our lives again. Return us to the joy of our salvation. Renew in us our first love. Holy Spirit, stir, stir with each one of us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ.